Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are now going to start City Council's budget work session. Um, Mr. Clerk, if you could read the Chamber Emergency Evacuation Plan announcement. On activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exits to the left or right front of the council chamber or the east or west stairwell outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use elevators or escalators. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in front of the Department of Social Service building at 900 East Marshall Street. Citizens and employees should assist visually in hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. And Mr. President, all members of council are in attendance with the exception of Mr. Addison, Ms. Lambert, and Ms. Robertson. You do have a quorum. Thank you, sir. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, ask for the administration, Mr. Saunders, to come forward. Um, we have on our agenda becoming an employer of choice, FY 2024 compensation, and pay plan for personnel. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. President, members of City Council. Thank you again for the opportunity to present um, key features of the FY 2024 proposed budget. Uh, today we're focusing on compensation and benefits as well as as well as a number of areas that we consider to be critical to uh, our efforts to become an employer of choice. Uh, as you'll see today, the FY 2024 comp and benefits budget reflects the progress and commitment we're making as an organization to that goal of being an employer of choice. Uh, we're holding ourselves accountable and putting our actions and funding uh, to match our words. Uh, as an employer, so, so starting from the, the question of what is an employer of choice? An employer of choice offers a fantastic work culture and workplace environment that attracts and retains exceptional talent. In FY 2023, we asked our employees if this was the city of Richmond. And the answer we typically heard was, not yet. We have a lot of work to do. As a result, we looked at our organization, our culture, our comp and benefits philosophy in uh, FY 2023, and we are making uh, many of the initial changes for FY 2024. An employer of choice is not just about compensation. It is about the work environment and how we convey a sense of belonging. The ultimate questions we ask our employees is, do they feel valued? Do they feel like they're making a difference? And do you feel you're supported in your work? Given that, we have made strides to create a positive work culture, to be innovative, and offer the quality, comp competitive uh, total rewards package needed to support an engaged and premier workforce. We understand that in the past, the city has implemented employee incentives in a siloed manner. Becoming an employer choice means adopting a new holistic approach to workforce strengthening opportunities and initiatives. We are developing new offerings, revising policies, and streamlining processes so that we can attract and retain, and retain qualified, motivated employees, respond to employee concerns, invest in their professional development, hold ourselves accountable to the community and our employees, and offer the diverse benefit options and competitive compensation that 
talented employees are looking for. I want to take a brief moment to mention that um, an important part, part of this work has been our conversations and collaborations with our Core Connect members. Uh, our Core Connect members are one of the most important ways we have to hear directly from our employees. In March of 2022, we created the Core Connect group to help us chart our path to become an employer of choice. Representatives in this group were elected by their peers and must be in good standing as an employee. The group was established to communicate, engage, and build trust amongst employees and the administration. Only non-supervisory positions uh, were eligible to participate, and members of the group uh, represent our frontline workers. The group meets with city leadership quarterly, including myself, and in these meetings, the representatives have a chance to serve as a liaison by bringing issues to the forefront uh, from their respective departments and talk things over with administration leadership. We also use this group to float ideas, to do a barometer check on upcoming changes and discuss new concepts. It's a two-way communication and the group is encouraged to provide feedback. It also gives us a forum to provide messaging directly to the employees for them to help to disperse again in their departments. We invited members of the Core Connect to join us today to be in the chamber. I know many of them have a, a myriad of responsibilities, but if there are any Core Connect members with us, could you please raise your hand? Excellent, thank you for taking the time to be here today. Coming back to our efforts on improving our work environment. In FY2023's budget, Mayor Stoney announced that we'd begin a compensation and benefits analysis, basically a uh, next level comp reform. So how do we begin this effort? We started with asking and listening. We hosted 12 employee engagement sessions with over 200 employment employees in attendance over this fall and winter. We received over 400 suggestions, questions, and comments from employees, which provided incredible perspective and feedback for things we can improve upon. The outreach effort resulted in 21 recommendations under five core areas, including culture and employee engagement, recruitment and retention, compensation and benefits, professional development, and performance and accountability. We heard our employees loud and clear, and today we're proud to expand or expound upon the proposed comp and benefits budget that reflects our effort to build the kind of organization our employees desire to work for. The class and comp outreach resulted in 26 implementation strategies under the five core areas, several of which have been completed. Implementation efforts for strategies in progress or those which have not yet begun will commence in 2024, or in FY 2024. The strategies are summarized on the slide, including the culture employee engagement, where, which will focus on developing training and educational materials, training for supervisors, managers, and employees, and leadership and professional development, increasing employee, as well as increasing employee engagement activities. Recruitment and retention priorities include cultivating relationships with educational institutions, developing a consultative team, talent acquisition team, and conducting citywide hiring events. Under compensation and benefits, our priorities include continuing medical coverage, design review, class and comp review, planning for a VRS transition, expanding health and wellness programs, and implementing the language incentive and parking equity program. Under professional development, we are planning for recruitment and hiring certified professionals, implementing the tuition assistance program, and creating the apprenticeship and career pathway opportunities. 
And finally, priorities for performance and accountability efforts are to complete the job description survey analysis and revise performance management policies, uh, as well as our employee evaluation process. Speaking specifically to the FY 2024 proposed budget uh, investments to become an employer of choice. Under personnel and compensation in FY 2024, we have proposed $14.1 million to support an 8% general wage increase for general employees. An additional $350,000 will enable the city to bring our hourly minimum wage to $18 an hour. $5.7 million is provided to fund both a step increase as well as a 3% step plan adjustment for our sworn personnel. As well, an additional $5.6 million will support our commitments to the Richmond retirement system, and we've included $2 million for implementation of collective bargaining. And again, I would speak to implementation, meaning for the costs of um, supporting establishing the bargaining units and those negotiations from there, not for implementing the recommendations that may come from that bargaining. In our suite of employee benefits and incentives, we are also proposing over 573,000 uh, to create equity and employee parking, as well as to support a green transportation initiative. Where we're, we will be supporting and incentivizing employees to not use a personal vehicle to commute to work. 650, excuse me, I've already mentioned the half a million dollars to implement the language incentive program, 650,000 uh, for a tuition assistance program, 1.4 million from uh, reallocated ARPA funding for a first time home buyers program for city employees, 500,000 for professional and cultural development, and 1 million to support uh, strengthening our health and wellness programs. Speaking up to the city's pay philosophy, by continuing our reform of compensation in FY 2023, again in FY 2024, we're setting a new standard in the city's approach to pay. When we begin our comp reform activities, we needed to establish what our pay philosophy would be. And we didn't have one. I believe Council Member Robertson spoke to this last week at our meeting. We asked the question during our employee engagement sessions of what it should be as well. Where we've landed is that our philosophy is to maintain our competitive market-based approach to pay. We must continue to develop our strategy by benchmarking internal and external equity, rewards for exceptional performance, including opportunities for growth and promotion. The pillars of our pay philosophy include being transparent, fair, equitable, and sustainable in our pay systems by offering competitive starting salaries and regular and reliable wage increases, and by providing a minimum wage that leads by example and sets the standard uh, for others to follow. In following this philosophy, it will enable us to ensure that we are building one Richmond that is equitable, competitive, and poised to meet the future challenges uh, we face as an employer. We wanna be balanced in our approach to pay. First was we must ask ourselves if we want to lag the market, match, or lead it. Sometimes this means paying more for our jobs than our competitors. Historically, it's important to note that we have lagged the market in our pay approach. We began several steps in FY 2023 to begin the comprehensive compensation reform study 
to understand how we can match and where it is uh, competitively to our advantage, lead the market. The compensation reform, reform study is underway, but also ongoing. In FY 2023, we completed most of the market pricing and benchmarking for uh, our classifications for general employees. Uh, at the same time, we also decided to take uh, the bold step of reimagining uh, our critically important Department of Human Resources while taking on this larger review of class and comp. There's still much more that needs to be done going forward to complete the compensation review. Uh, we are working to update and create new job classes and class descriptions to ensure that our employees are appropriately placed in those job classes, to schedule and complete the job study uh, on key positions. Uh, and that means we need to evaluate and study what individuals in certain job classifications do relative to others uh, in the same type of job function elsewhere in the city. Uh, there are some positions that have the same title. Um, but may operate differently depending on the department they're placed in. We need to make sure that we have equity and appropriateness in those placements and descriptions. We'll work to complete the review of our market data to ensure job specific job classes are competitive and complete the competitiveness of salary analysis, as well as implementing a merit-based performance evaluation system. Um, I don't think I could uh, state strongly enough how important it is that that be the goal of much of our class and comp uh, work so that we can ensure that people are appropriately placed in their job descriptions, are evaluated uh, for their performance, and then that there is merit-based adjustments um, that follow uh, those performance evaluations. So with all this work ahead, we do ask for patience while HR rebuilds and continues to work through the job classification study. Uh, the last time the city completed a, a study of pay was in the fall of 2016 with implementation in 2019, first phase implementation in 2019 uh, and 2021 for phase two. As we go forward, it's important to review uh, the history of compensation adjustments for the city, particularly over the last decade. Sworn employees have had step or pay increases in eight of the last 10 fiscal years. General employees had wage increases in six of the last 10 fiscal years. In FY 2023, we provided one of the largest pay adjustments in the city's history by implementing the public safety pay plan. Uh, in FY23, we also provided one of the largest general wage increases in the city's history. We are pleased to place ourselves even closer to our target uh, through the proposed investments in FY2024. The preliminary market study and benchmarkings of positions was uh, within HR was completed and was used to assist with the increases proposed in this year's budget. Uh, as previously mentioned, sworn employees would get both a step increase and a 3% uh, step plan adjustment, uh, totaling over 5% for most sworn personnel. The proposed budget also provides their employees with the 8% wage increase and will increase the minimum wage to $18 an hour to help raise overall pay to a more competitive level. By offering an $18 an hour minimum wage, the city uh, is one of the highest cities in the Commonwealth in its minimum hourly wage, and it's $6 ahead of the Virginia minimum and more than double the federal minimum wage. For those 
would caveat that with the 8% adjustment, um, we are also proposing in parallel to adjust the pay plant steps, or excuse me, the, the, the pay ranges by 5%. So for those individuals who are already at max pay for their position, they would receive the 5% wage adjustment and the balance of the 3% in a uh, lump sum payment and a one-time payment. I can go into more detail on this, but at a high level, what I would share is that over the last few years, as we've done market adjustments for an employee who is at the midpoint for their position, um, when we've adjusted uh, both the pay 5% and the range 5%, they've stayed at the midpoint. By adjusting pay 8%, but the range 5%, we are enabling ourselves to um, have individuals uh, be able to get ahead in where they are on the range and not get ourselves into the same compression we've seen where in hiring new employees, you know, um, it, it's, it's possible that new employee could also come in at the midpoint, meaning those who have served the city longer in the same role would not necessarily being paid, be paid greater than those who are newly hired. So this balanced approach is meant to help us adjust for the compression it would cause to move both range and pay by 8%. Overall, in total, these adjustments total $20.1 million for sworn and general employee pay adjustments. Combined, we are providing for the second year in a row one of the most competitive pay adjustments in city's history. The $18 per hour minimum wage ensures we are offering one of the highest in the Commonwealth. And I'll move on just so again, just a little further breakdown. Again, we're providing 346,000 um, for the minimum wage increase and 14.1 million for the general employees 8% wage adjustment. This would be greatly impactful for our general workforce. Um, we have roughly 2,600 employees in our general employee pool. Um, again. Would like to pivot from here to speaking to the um, benefits and incentives philosophy and taking a whole employee well-being approach. At our last budget workshop, we mentioned some of the budget cost drivers, and here's a little bit more detail on that. Of the $948 million general fund budget proposed for FY 2024, $86.9 million is dedicated to covering health care and retirement for our employees. They are significant drivers of the budget, comprising 9% of our total general fund spending. Over 3,300 employees are enrolled in the city's healthcare plan. We have four categories available under each of our three medical plans through Cigna. We have employee coverage, employee plus child, employee plus spouse, and employee plus family. Most employees are enrolled in the employee only category. The city covers most for uh, most of the costs in each category, with percent coverage being highest for the employee-only coverage. It's important to understand that healthcare costs are like a balloon. Uh, the cost that we pay for healthcare is a number uh, essentially set by our claims by our employees. What we have control over is what share of that total cost is borne by the employee versus what is borne by the city. Um, as I mentioned in the last year, uh, in this year's healthcare changes, we um, helped to move the needle where the city took on more of the overall um, percentage of healthcare costs. 
But as we go forward and healthcare costs increase, um, again, we are looking to get closer to the industry, what we think is industry best practice of 80% employer share, 20% employee. So as we work our way to that percentage share, what we would see going forward is that as healthcare costs continue to rise and the total costs, you know, goes from 50 million to um, a higher number into the future, we would maintain our percentage shares, but both employer and employee would see their cost share proportionally based on that percentage. We've also been looking at additional health plan options. Uh, we are currently exploring and researching the possibility of extending domestic partner benefits to employees. Um, domestic partners are defined as unrelated, unmarried individuals in a committed relationship living together. Research suggests that municipalities eliminated this offering um, due to the legalization of same-sex marriage some years ago. Uh, however, we have been doing the research of looking at adding this benefit. Um, we have a follow-up conversation set with our healthcare um, insurance provider Cigna this week. Um, we have gotten a range of costs for what would be um, the implementation costs of this benefit of between two and ten million dollars. Um, so we are trying to figure out how our path forward um, could be attained here. Um, we are also looking at uh, the potential to add a additional classification up for the ranges of employee plus children which could in effect serve to meet some of the the gaps that we're seeing in not providing the domestic partner benefits today healthcare benefit packages are chosen with the whole employee and family well-being in mind to support our employees at both work and at home the city offers three medical plans with vision two dental plans uh, where employees can choose the level of coverage that works best for them. Our benefits are comprehensive and include medical, prescription drug, vision, dental, telehealth, 24-7 uh, nurse line, health rewards program, um, coverage for routine treatments, uh, as well as intensive personalized support programs for employees and families living with health disorders and diseases. We also have help available through our employee assistance program. Uh, the EAP is available to all city employees, regardless of whether they participate in Cigna medical program. It is there to support employees dealing with difficult life experiences that we all face at one time or another, uh, including many of those listed here. If they choose, employees can meet with a counselor face-to-face. -face. The program covers six in-person sessions with a counselor for each qualifying incident. And additionally, the program can be addressed by phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. All services provided are completely confidential, and counselors uh, can also be called in for departments and employees to address a traumatic event um, that affects their department. We also have savings accounts available uh, under our healthcare plans. We offer a HSA, a health savings account, or a flexible spending account, depending on uh, which Cigna plan the employee signs up for. Both plans are tax deductible. And HSA is offered for Cigna's high deductible plan. Uh, it is city funded and helps the employees pay for current and future qualified medical expenses tax-free. Two flexible uh, spending accounts are offered um, for signal for the non-high deductible plans, plans two and three, um, as well as an FSA for dependent care. 
We also have voluntary benefit options available to our employees, um, particularly through uh, AFLAC. The benefits include short-term disability, which I'm going to go into a little more detail on the next slide, accident advantage, hospital choice, personal cancer indemnity, critical care protection, and prepaid legal services. Short-term disability is a benefit that provides base salary and certain benefits when an employee is unable to perform work duties due to a um, continuous in incapacitation or serious health condition. Um, currently, the city offers short-term disability only through, as a voluntary add-on through AFLAC, which is paid 100% by employees. But in doing our review of our, our compensation and benefits, um, we realized that most localities in Virginia provide this benefit through their participation in the Virginia retirement system. So in the interim, as we're working on our BRS transition, this is also something we are looking at adding and making short-term disability available to our employees at no additional cost to them. We do also provide um, full-time full permanent employees coverage by mandatory life, uh, coverage of mandatory life insurance. Employees also have the option of purchasing additional life insurance if they wish for themselves or their spouse or children. We do also currently offer an employee wellness program that's aimed at helping employees and their families in all facets of life, not just at work. Uh, it works to promote healthy lifestyles, decreasing the risk of disease and increases quality of life through educational opportunities, wellness activities, self-improvement, um, Types of programs offered include classes that focus on stress management, healthy eating, weight loss, um, financial wellness webinars, mental health webinars, health assessment tool, uh, telephone and online health coaching, um, as well as other weight. And we are able to engage our employees through events such as health and wellness fairs, group sports events, group exercise and activities. We know that healthy employees create healthy organizations. An investment employee health will lower health care costs and insurance claims for the city. A workplace health program has the potential to keep to both keep healthy employees in a lower risk category um, while also targeting less healthy employees in higher risk categories, thereby lowering overall uh, health premiums. The most significant business outcomes of a healthy workforce include greater productivity, increased retention, staff loyalty, stronger morale and motivation. So while we have these offerings, um, I think it's important to note that we do not yet feel that we have as robust or comprehensive of a wellness program as we think our employees and we would like to see for them. The key to lowering healthcare costs is to have an active wellness and prevention programs. This year, we are putting an additional $1 million in funding to new, towards new employee wellness offerings in FY 2024. For council, I would share that it's important to think of these as investments that would have a three-year return on investment through healthier employees and therefore reduced uh, premiums. And as the mayor mentioned in the speech, a critical component of this is to be able to offer uh, our very own employee health clinics. Um, we are approaching uh, a contract award for employee health clinics and look forward to providing council an update and timeline for establishing those clinics um, as soon as the contract is final. Um, this $1 million in funding will enable us to both support enhanced wellness offerings in the interim, as well as implement the new health uh, clinics. 
We are also making one of the largest investments in new incentive programs for employees uh, this year. Uh, We're supporting continuing education through tuition assistance, enhancing upward mobility through developing a first-time homebuyer program, creating career paths and growth opportunities through professional development, recognizing the importance of multilingual services, excuse me, through implementing a language incentive and providing sustainable transportation incentives citywide and by providing parking equity and an alternative transportation benefit. Pivoting to our retirement system. Richmond's retirement system is one of seven independent local government retirement systems in Virginia. Employers in our retirement system include the city of Richmond as well as the Richmond Behavioral Health Authority. It functions as a city council authority and is governed by a seven member board of trustees. Uh, of the uh, seven, excuse me, of the seven independent retirement systems, we know that one Norfolk is currently transitioning to VRS. The Richmond retirement system's unfunded liability fell in FY 2023 to 64.5% from uh, the 71.8% it was at in FY 2022. Total funding, RRS funding for city employees is budgeted at 56.9 million for FY 2024, which is a 10.9% increase over FY 2023's $51.3 million total. Most of city employee, employee retirement budget will go to the general fund at approximately 94%, with non-general funds comprising the remaining 60, remaining 6% of that um, cost share. If you'll indulge me in a quick review of um, what we offer through our retirement system. Um, general employees who were employed prior to July 1st of 2006 uh, are still, are, have still have access to the defined benefit program. Um, that was transitioned to a defined contribution program for those who were hired after July 1st of 2006. Sworn employees and executive employees both fall under the defined benefit program. The major differences between the defined benefit and defined contribution plans is that the defined benefit pays out um, a monthly benefit upon retirement. It is funded through contributions from the employer and the employee. The benefit is calculated through a compensation base rate, eligible years of service, and a compensation rate multiplier. Richmond Retirement System's defined benefit vesting period is five years. The defined contribution plan is a benefit amount based on investment performance. It is funded through employer contributions only. And RRS has a funding structure where the city contributes a percentage of salary based on years of service. The DC benefit is calculated through the employer contribution plus interest, which equals the account balance. Richmond Retirement System's defined contribution vesting period is also five years. So where are we on our conversation for VRS transition? We have been working to analyze what a transition to VRS would mean for the city. The VRS work group was established and the analysis being completed is very complex. We are currently in discussions with VRS staff and are awaiting an actuarial study from VRS. This has been prolonged because VRS transitioned to a new actuary this past year and follow-up discussions are to be scheduled by VRS um, 
as soon as they're able. In the future, discussions will, with the city council regarding this topic will include um, conversations to understand the costs, the differences uh, between the plans, as well as the impact on our employees. Then we will need to make a deliberate decision uh, to move or not to move to the Virginia retirement system. It will require council to adopt a resolution. Uh, and if the decision to transition to VRS is made, we'll need to develop both a communication plan, educational activities, and consultative services so each employee can make the decision that is right for them. We plan to hire uh, a firm to help us develop a strategy for employee engagement and outreach related to the transition and provide um, both informational pamphlets, detailed uh, reports outlining all aspects of the transition, uh, handout materials, digital media, uh, as well as information um, posted within City Hall and other applicable areas. Some good news here. Uh, Many of you have been involved and heard many of the conversations around uh, the other post-employment benefits, more commonly referred to as OPEB. The city provides med <coughs> excuse me, medical insurance for some employees who retire from the city. Two years ago, we made the hard decision to change healthcare offerings to bring down our OPEB liability. The FY 2023 valuation reports indicated that we achieved our goal. Because we made this change, our liability that had previously sat at well over $100 million is now down to just $23 million. The city pays a portion of premiums um, based on the length of active service and retiree health eligibility uh, now stands that the individuals must be at least 55 years of age, but not over the age of 65 and must have worked for the city at least 10 years with the last five years um, being consecutive service. The amount that the city now contributes uh, toward the plan premiums depends on that year's service, and you can see those amounts based on the chart above. All right, I'm at the last part of the presentation. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the drivers of our organizational change in FY 2024 and how we are cultivating an employer of choice philosophy and approach in a post-COVID workplace. We are focusing on human resources uh, as the driver of being an employer of choice in FY 2024. Our human resources department is being reimagined to meet the needs of a changing workforce and workplace post COVID-19. It will become more strate strategically oriented with a more customer centric business model and inclusive culture. The HR mission in FY 2024 is to provide high quality services for internal and external customers including administrators, staff, and prospective employees of the city. Its strategy is to elevate the city to being an employer of choice by building a progressive, innovative, and inclusive organization, designing employee wellness and development programs, and administering equitable and consistent policy. We're pleased to welcome new HR leadership. Tyrone Alexander is our new director. He started on February 27th and comes to us from Toledo, Ohio. Robin Redman has served in many capacities over the past few months, including as interim director and is now our new deputy director for human resources. We also want to welcome James Henry, who began with us as the division chief for talent acquisition in November. Wes uh, Westry, uh, excuse me, Gerald Wes Westry has been with us since August as the division chief for EEO and employment employee relations. 
Davida Palmer uh, has started as the new division chief for training and development. Uh, her first day was the day we introduced the budget, March 6th. And we will also soon welcome um, Paulette Giambalo as the new division chief for benefits and wellness in April. We are also changing policy to drive our organizational change. We are doing this by making policies more flexible, reflect current operations and best practices, and responsive to employee needs. Breaking down silos through consistent policy applications citywide, using data to better inform policy decisions, broadening policy to reflect changing employee workforce, making our policies clear and concise and easily understandable. We have currently revised our on-call, overtime, paid parental leave, overhire policies, as well as streamlining personnel rules. We also understand that flexible work arrangements are the future. COVID-19 has changed the face of work forever. If we want to be an employer of choice, we must understand what is shifting, how our workforce is impacted, and adjust our policies and practice. Due to the changing nature of work arrangements post-COVID, coupled with generational changes and shifting cultural values, Today's workforce expects employers to offer flexible working arrangements. The city has partnered with a consultant to develop an equitable organization-wide policy that offers flexibility in working arrangements in all departments. And finally, with the changing landscape in 2022, uh, the city council adopted collective bargaining uh, in collaboration with the administration. We've set aside $2 million uh, in this year's budget to provide for staffing, contractual obligations, outside legal counsel, training, and educational materials needed to implement collective bargaining. As you know, our collective bargaining ordinance specifies five bargaining units, including one for police, fire and emergency services, labor and trades, professional, and administrative and technical. Building a stronger city starts with us. As we invest in our future as an employer choice, we're reminded that building a stronger city depends on our workforce and supporting our dedicated public servants. Thank you for listening uh, to this presentation today um, and indulging me the time, and I'm happy to take any questions, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. Saunders. To my colleagues, those that have questions, just light um, your mic and we'll place you in the queue. Ms. Jordan. Thank you so much, um, President Jones. I had a couple, well, I'll just, one question I was curious about in the first presentation um, for the home buying pro program for our staff, which is terrific. It noted that it was an ARPA reallocation and I was just wondering where it was reallocated from and if there are other reallocations that we haven't been updated on yet. Thank you. So um, I would say that it is, um, a proposed reallocation uh, to be approved by council. Um, it is uh, what the mayor is proposing is to repurpose the 1.4 million that was set as a COVID-19 essentially administration reserve for any additional costs of responding to the pandemic. Um, now that the emergency declaration is ending, we have not had to tap into that fund for prior increases in costs for COVID-19 response. Um, so we think it's an appropriate time to put that money and, and, and propose investing it in employees rather than maintaining it as a reserve. 
If I could have a follow up question, is that the full extent of the reserve or are there other dollars in that ARPA reserve that are being deployed elsewhere? Thanks. The full reserve for um, the the COVID-19 contingency reserve in ARPA was 1.4 million. So we're proposing okay. a total allocation of that funding to stand up an employee uh, employee home buying assistance program. Thank you. And to date, I'm not aware of any other proposed reallocations within ARPA. This is the only fund that we feel is uh, not designated to a, a, a path forward and, and a clear use. Um, and given the ending of the uh, emergency declaration, it just seems like now is the time to say we can reallocate that to a higher purpose. Councilor Lambert. Thank you, Chair Jones. Um, thank you, Lincoln, for your presentation. I apologize for my tardiness. Um, quick question on the health clinics. Um, I know we're moving forward with that. Um, what was the cost? that it was going to take for us to move to that? I, I won't be able to give you an exact cost until we finalize the contract. Okay. Uh, I know we're still negotiating the cost with, um, or at least the last update I had was that we were still negotiating the final terms of that contract. And so I'll provide counsel um, with that update, but uh, I do believe that we are negotiating uh, a, a price that we think will be manageable uh, within the FY, proposed FY 2024 budget. Okay, and um, just to follow up, if I could probably have um, maybe a meeting with you all to talk about BRS and RSS, because um, I'm not completely understanding why we should be moving to BRS. Um, it's a lot of questions, and I see that it. one of the statements on here is it's complex. Yeah. So I know it's complex, and I have some complex questions to go over. So I just wanted to make a note of that, Mr. Chair, when I need to have additional meetings on that. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Dr. Newbill. Thank you, Mr. President, and thank you, Mr. Saunders, for the presentation. Uh, just a couple of questions and one to uh, Councilwoman Lambert in terms of the employee health clinics. Are we looking to partner with some of our safety net providers um, and there are an array of them in the non-departmental? Are we looking to stand something up on our own what are we looking to do there? Um, I couldn't say the month off the top of my head, but last year we released a, a request for proposals um, and we received uh, bids based on that request. So any of our current healthcare providers in the region would have been eligible to bid okay. uh, to provide those clinics. But we are we are looking to do this um, as a, a partnership, as a program that we provide that will over time drive down our healthcare costs, right. not looking to shift any burden on any of our, our nonprofit healthcare supports and providers in the region, but looking for it to be more of a business relationship with a healthcare provider um, to, the, to the advantage of our employees. Thank you. And I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, there have been, there are instances where we have some of the safety net partners that have established multiple locations across our city and regional footprint. And that's what I was asking, um, especially our FQHCs have, um, I know at least one has six sites. Um, so just inquiring that's an opportunity, but it'll go out to all of them so they can respond. Right. Yes, it, it has, and we're in the, in the final negotiations. But again, this is for 
all, all city employees to be able to access clinics. I do think the the point made about having sites, you know, that are not just one central location, but a disparate across the the region for our employees as well as um, potential other employers that might be interested in providing a similar benefit for their employees to have access to. Um, we can certainly provide more details on that, but perhaps more appropriately after we have awarded a contract. Thank you. Uh, Mr. President, uh, another question is that, okay, this is uh, pertaining to uh, the retirees and uh, would just like to have um, greater clarity regarding the um, health care for retired employees and the uh, reduction of about uh, 1.3 million and what that pertains to. If you could restate the question, this is regarding um, health care for retired employees. And it appears to be a reduction of 1.3 million. Section 10 dash page, section 10 dash 163007. Give us a couple minutes and we'll get. Yeah, and, and if, if it is because I have other questions that, it, you know, you want me to after get with somebody, I can do that. So we don't take as much time. I'm willing to do that. So I have several questions specific to uh, retirees and some of the changes thereof. So if that's certainly. better, I can do that. We can we can certainly provide a time to discuss the, okay. those issues. Directly. Okay, we can get something scheduled. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Um, and 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 as we move forward through our work sessions, um, once a, once the chair recognizes you, once once you're recognized, you don't have to ask if you have a follow up question. Um, this is more informal. Uh, so once you get the floor, um, everyone feel free to um, exhaust all of your questions at that point in time. Um, so again, we we want to kind of keep this and uh, in, as informal as possible, but still have. Uh, direction. So thank each and every one of you for your consideration. Uh, Councilor Lambert. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I have another question. Um, and speaking of the HR department, um, what is the timeline that we have for beginning the job study position analysis that you all gave um, for the current status of the HR department? I'd ask you to, to, to try and, so if you're referring to um, reviewing the positions within HR as mm -hmm. far as what they're, I believe, I, I would contend that we we have, we have did complete that as part of our HR assessment completed over the last year okay. before we went into the implementation of the HR reform that we are Go implementing on. at this time. So okay. that's how we ended up with um, some new job classifications and moving away from prior position uh, descriptions towards new, more um, specialized uh, you know, divisions within HR. Because um, I this past weekend, I ran into um, someone that was formerly in the HR department and they were little, um, I asked them, would they reapply? And they said no, because of how they were let go. So we're missing out on some talent that was there. Um, I guess that process was to clear out the old and with the new. I'm not absolutely sure, but um, I just want to know how we're doing in that department because... All of HR got let go. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that on one hand, um, I think what we are, what we are doing is implementing a strategy that 
um, will enable HR to provide higher level service and more uh, expert level support for um, their departments. Uh, I think going beyond that, I would, you know, given the mention of a specific individual or otherwise, would kind of say this is a personnel issue that I'd be glad to discuss offline, um, or I might have to say that I can't discuss it any further given that it is personnel. Yeah, I know it's personnel. I don't want, I don't need details about that, but just in terms of where, how we're moving forward and recruiting, um, you know, that's why I wanted to speak to someone personally about the BRS, because if we're trying to recruit folks, um, I, don't, I just don't think BRS is the only option that folks are coming here to work. So we can have another discussion on that offline, but right. just wanted to get that analysis. Thank you. Vice President Nye. Thank you, President Jones. Uh, thank you, Mr. Saunders, for the presentation. A couple of questions. So um, when you were talking about the Gallagher study and how that came out in fall of 2016, and then, um, you know, a bunch of us started here in 2017, so kind of inherited that. Then you said the first phase was 2019, the second phase was 2021. Um, I remember at the time that we, I think we implemented the second phase, the discussion was now it's too outdated, we can't use it anymore. So I hear you say we're doing another study. Again, um, you know, next year is an election year, so there might be another wave. Can we do this study in a way that it doesn't, that we're being fiscally responsible and it doesn't get wasted, some of the results that come out of the study, because I feel like we use some of Gallagher, but especially in that second phase, I remember hearing a lot of complaints that, you know, what was being recommended was too out of date. And I just feel like that was not money well spent. And um, on the study or the implementation? The implementation. I mean, because we did not, if we had pulled the trigger in 2017, 2018, which we probably couldn't have financially, it would have made sense. But too much time had passed and then it was out of date. And I just wouldn't want the same to happen if you guys execute another big study. That's my point for saying all those things. I, I appreciate that and, and would say I think that that is um, part of what we have heard in our employee engagement sessions and otherwise. I mean, it is um, it, it is both frustrating and demoralizing for employees to see a, a study be completed that says our range should be X and then not be able to implement it, right? And so um, in, in some ways, you're, you're just shining a light on the... It, uh, not meeting some of the the market needs and expectations and that we are lagging the market. Um, it is very much a part of our goal and expectation that um, as we complete the study. Now, I will say, and this is where I may uh, respectfully disagree, that the phase two implementation funding wasn't worthwhile because it still moved our employees up in market competitiveness. Um, aligning that directly with the Gallagher implementation, et cetera, um, the time to implement combined with the impacts of the pandemic and what that has done to workforce wages and and um, 
uh, employee expectations. That that was kind of a, a double hit, both in the time as well as how much the market moved in that period. Um, so I think it's important for us that uh, as we do these class and comp reviews um, that we move to implement expeditiously, and then that we a class and comp review is not something we should do every decade. It's something we should do every year. Um, different levels of holistic versus targeted based on where we're seeing vacancies, et cetera. There, there's different uh, measures in that. But one of the goals of restructuring our HR department is to build the capacity and the strength to be able to do these class and comp reviews in an ongoing and recurring basis uh, internally versus using an external firm like Gallagher to have to come in, do it, takes considerable time, et cetera. It's something we need to do on that rolling and ongoing basis and then make recommendations in the pay plan um, for where ranges need to move to keep up with the market. So that being said, with the study that you guys are going to do, are you going to do it more incremental and look at the area, the departmental areas where we are really bleeding and just can't hold on to employees? Like I know IT is really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I think it is it is re- will be hard to give you a, an implementation plan until it's completed. Mm-hmm. But I do think what you're suggesting is is right in the degree that where we see we are most out of market needs to be the first priority for implementation, and that mm-hmm. we bring you all um, plans and and funding strategies for how we adjust those positions where the combination of um, uh, uh, of vacancies as well as being significantly out of market uh, are are aligned mm-hmm. um, and use those as our, our top prioritization. I would love to say that we'll be able to implement it all in one go and just make one big adjustment like we did for public safety last year. But given the number of employees and how much variation we might expect to see, mm-hmm. um, it may have to be a, a phased approach. But I think the goal would be to be able to phase it in within one to two years versus in four to six. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I definitely support more of the phased approach because in my 10 years on doing budgets, public service, the whole thing, we've never been able to just rip the mandate and do it all at once. Even with schools, we did it incrementally. Great. Um, second question, and then I'll wrap up. Um, the domestic partner mm-hmm. um, benefits is something that you and I have talked about offline and you know that I very much support. So I'd really like it if we could narrow down this number. I mean, I think what you're saying is this is not in the budget, but it's somewhere between two and 10 million, which is a enormous range. Yes. And I think that's where we are, I will say, having discussions with Cigna to make sure that the estimate we're being given, which is what we would have to then cover passing on to both the city and to employees as part of our total um, anticipated claims is is a more is an accurate number. Um, the first estimate at 10 million, uh, I think doesn't feel like it would be necessarily consistent with the number of employees we would anticipate anticipating this benefit, et cetera. But that's where we we do rely on our partner in Cigna to do that analysis to to tell us what what we need to plan and budget for. Um, I did also meet with some of the respective parties who are who who are potentially falling into this mm-hmm. um, uh, this area, and I think um, that conversation has helped illuminate maybe some of the gaps we're looking to fill to see if there's um, 
either a combination or, or additional strategies we could use that would would meet some of the the needs. The employee plus children is one of the things that has come out of that conversation and others that um, given that our plan only jumps from employee and child to employee and family, mm-hmm. that there may be an individual, maybe individuals who are looking to carry more than one child on their plan, but not carry their spouse. And that would meet a lot of some of the need we see from our employees in a missing gap because the cost from going from employee and child to employee and family is roughly double to the employee. So there may be something in the middle there that actually would save our employees on the healthcare premiums without necessarily overburdening the rest of our employee base. Okay, that's great. Um, one thing, one suggestion is, I mean, when we used to have benefits for domestic partners, so perhaps we could go back and look at that data and see there's no data. Teams tells me that we, the city and its history did not elect to move to um, domestic partners prior to the um, legalization of same-sex marriage, that we did not really? have domestic partnerships on the city's health care plan historically. Mm. So that, Well, that's super disappointing. I don't think any of us were here, but, uh, yes, here. but still, <laughs> in general, yes, it's, I understand. it's disappointing. I just want to make sure that we are being all-inclusive. I mean, the, the whole title of your presentation is being an employer of cho- choice. And um, I truly believe that the more we can do to support our employees, the stronger we'll be, the better service we'll give our residents, so on and so forth. You guys know all of this, but really this is this is very important to me and I think should be important to the city as a whole as well. I, I, it very much so is. I think the, the comp that we're probably looking at in this regard is just as we saw in changing the OPEB benefit, um, not putting the city in a position where we were spending 15 million, not on compensation directly going to our employees, but on a unfunded liability. We just wanna make sure that our dollars are going to have the maximum impact for the employees to be as welcoming, inclusive and supportive as we can be. And you know, I think that $10 million figure is just, you know, I don't think it's accurate, but I also think that that burden on all of our employees would be significant. So I just wanna make sure we're, we're um, hammering the right nail to, to get to the point here. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Sonda, just two questions. First question, um, of the funded vacancies from FY23, how many have yet to be filled? Mr. President, I'm sorry, I had a little trouble hearing the, the exact parameters. Could you give that to me one more time? FY23, funded vacancies. How many of those have been filled? Do we have a percentage? Are you able to? And, and if you have it, great. You don't have a life if you if you're carrying around that type of information. Uh, but if you want to just shoot that back to, to the chief of staff and budget staff, that would be great. All right, we'll be glad to um, get to provide some the funded vacancies, et cetera. I will say that um, I think we exceeded our projections in the budget of being able to fill vacant positions. So I think we actually came out. Uh, depending on how you look at it, ahead on our um, filling of of previously open positions that that were intended to be filled. Um, so I think how would you do that? By but my point is, I think we we were able to exceed our 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 hopes as far as what we thought realistically could be filled previously um, of the current vacant positions. 
So uh, I, I don't feel like we're coming into this budget with a bunch of positions that we funded last year and never filled. I think we actually, we, we met our expectations there. All right, so if you can just share that number with staff, that would be great. Uh, last question, uh, is there a timeline for new employee incent- incentives? Um, are you thinking specifically of the uh, uh, tuition assistance and the home buyers program or anything additionally? I think our goal would be to have programs that could be up and running on July 1, um, but we still have some program details that need to be ironed out um, for, for the policies. Ms. Jordan? Thank you. Just um, really appreciate all these presentations and the follow-up. I was looking at the set of responses we got from our last questions. I just wanted to you know, get on record. I was asking not to see the fleet plan that we already have, but for an update on where we are on Greenfleet. Okay. And that wasn't provided. The other question um, at a later date, if I could get some detail on what this green transportation initiative is. And then um, more detail on the home buying incentive program would that be to buy homes within richmond would just be for people already in richmond ami that kind of thing thank you um if i could respond high level to the points i hear you on the green feet and we'll make sure we get some more detail than what was provided um second on the uh alternative transportation the the green transportation initiative part of the goals with the funding and um for parking equity is um we are trying to essentially alleviate some of the burden of paying for parking on our current employees. But similarly, if we have employees who are choosing to use public transportation, biking, et cetera, to commute to work, we want to actually incentivize them to do that rather than just, you know, you're 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 not paying for parking, but you're also not using a parking space. It, it should provide some benefit to them. Um, we don't have an exact dollar figure for what that would be, but that is how we are planning to approach the green um, slash alternative transportation uh, incentive for employees who find alternative ways to commute to work. Thank you. Uh, and, and, and Mr. Saunders, I hope that we would take into account individuals that live um, in parts of the city <clears throat> that don't have the same type of frequency and the same opportunity to take and utilize public transport, um, public transportation as other areas. Because if you live van, if you live we know we know we know the areas that that have better coverage. Um, they're going to be incented to use something that's readily accessible to them. And individuals that live on South Side, they're not going to they're they're actually going to be deemed for it. And so, what I would and and I'll, I'll just stop there because because again you know as we talk about equity and things of that nature, I can't travel to the to to, to City Hall the same way as some of my other colleagues can. I think and, part of this is making sure that you're not having to then pay out of pocket for parking versus, um, you know, if you do have to drive because public transport or biking is not an option to you. Uh, and currently we do charge many of our employees to park. Well, and I'm, I'm just lifting that up again. There are certain individuals, depending upon the time they have to report and or they go home, they may not be able to utilize public transportation as easily or as readily as other individuals based upon where they live. Okay, and I'd, I'd be in, when we roll that out, I'd be interested to look at uh, those numbers because again, I would love to take public transportation and or bike to and from City Hall. 
And it's not even the distance that I live um, and that I'm not willing to bike in. One, it's not safe. Uh, I mean, it's literally you're playing old school Frogger yep. to get from the ninth district to city hall biking wise first. And then secondly, the bus schedule is just too infrequent uh, for me to utilize that, that, that method. And so, and, and again, I'm just sharing that out there. Those that have that is great. Um, how are we looking? I'm sorry. How's Dorena? Um, how are we looking at revenue numbers that we talked about our last, in our last meeting? I believe staff is waiting to get that information back, how we arrived at those numbers and things of that nature. I do believe that the response to the Q&A um, that was submitted, and I know we, we've been hustling all week to get answers compiled and back to you so that you, you probably did not get them much before today's meeting, um, but it does have a kind of a more detailed explanation of how we analyze the data to provide that recommendation. It also shows you the, um, you know, real estate percent change trends over the last five years, uh, compares our estimate to what the average has been for the last five years, et cetera. So I do believe that's included in the Q&A. I can give you um, some response now or wait for the next session once you have a chance to review. I was just asking on behalf of staff yes. just to ensure that we have that information because that was something I was looking for. All right, great. Uh, colleagues, if there's no other there are no other questions that we have, Ms. Saunders, Ms. Saunders, thank you for uh, your presentation. Thank you. We're now going to transition to um, council analysis and questions of the mayor's proposed budget submission. Um, our chief of staff shall kick us off, Ms. Letitia Holmes. Thank you. Good afternoon and thank you, President Jones, Vice President Nye, uh, distinguished members of council. So this will be very preliminary in our results. I'm going to have Latanya Davenport come down and do a brief presentation. But before she starts, I um, just wanted to recall and remind of this process. Um, we did our shared council priorities first um, and did that through the use of a um, survey. And from there, we then reviewed those against the district priorities. So what Latanya will be bringing forward forward for you is some of that analysis and the response and collaboration that has happened between ourselves and um, the administration. Um, some things to note, you all received a one-page document um, in our last budget work session um, from administration, which outlined some of the things that they put into the mayor's proposed budget with regards to each of the shared priorities. Um, that analysis of those numbers um, are for the larger shared priorities and just wanted to call your attention to that. Um, this is obviously our third budget work session um, to which you all had advised that you would like to have budget work sessions include information from um, this one being compensation and pay plan, um, personnel staffing, um, last week was overview of the budget where we talked about the general fund, some touch points um, around the public works department, um, the parks and recs department, and the housing and economic development um, department. We also touched on some revenue. Um, as Lincoln um, provided to us just a few moments ago, um, they provided back questions and answers to questions from last week's presentation um, and um, have offered that they would have an additional presentation by Jason May um, if additional questions were needed after we analyze that. Um, so if you 
so would like that, we will do that. April 3rd um, was the requested time. Um, so I did want to bring that to your attention as well. Given that we just received those responses, I think they may be adequate, but you may have additional questions. Um, that all being said, again, LaTanya is going to go over the um, shared priorities as they align with the district priorities and some of the initial um, responses and conversations, considerations that we've had. LaTanya. All right. Um, good afternoon, um, Mr. President, uh, Madam Vice President, and members of City Council. Um, this afternoon, we are going to um, highlight your top-tiered um, priorities. Um, when you are looking through the presentation, um, you will notice that um, some items may have, as um, Ms. Holmes has indicated, additional data to be provided by the administration. Um, what that represents is your requests may not be directly identifiable with a dollar amount, but the administration is scheduled to follow up next week to um, share how that priority may be merged into um, current CIP funding or current operating funding that's being proposed for FY24. Um, we're all familiar with the um, shared um, priorities, and we're going to start off with the general fund um, with your request um, as it relates to strong futures for children, adults, and families. Um, dual enrollment. Um, the information we found that was provided related to a recent study was conducted by JLOC, and it is determined that the local schools and colleges and universities currently should have adequate funding to support this type of dual enrollment needs that we would like to have. Um, as relates to improving the program or leaving it as it currently states. Um, as it relates to our youth needs, as in sports and a youth summit, um, that will be addressed in detail um, by the administration. There are many updates, what we found in the budget document that relate to the community centers um, as it relates to youth needs, but they will be able to share the additional details relating to that. Um, next, we have, um, as it relates to children, youth, and adults' health and wellness, the community health workers, it was shared that more than likely the community ambassador program that we currently have in place should be able to address and provide assistance um, in that area. And as it relates to our youth and out-of-school time programs, we did see that whereby there will be three additional out-of-school time centers um, put into operation in FY 2024. The references of the community centers and school life coach program those will be provided for additional details by the administration of how those um, are implemented in the operating budget. Um, I think this was recently discussed in the um, previous presentation. 
Um, as it relates to portable rental housing and all of our affordable housing needs, um, there are various funding sources um, presented in the budget as relates to addressing that um, as well regarding that need that will be addressed in detail of how the funding sources that are available as it relates to the CIP, OPER, and emergency shelters will address our needs as it relates to your requests associated with affordable housing. Um, next, we have planned growth economic process and affordable housing continued, um, the small area plan, um, as well as the homeless services. There have been additional FTEs added to the budget as relates to these two areas. Um, the details as it relates to how those positions will link up and address those needs as it relates to that master plan and the homeless services will be shared next week as well. Um, the elderly tax relief, um, we are anticipating an additional 138482 to be implemented as it relates to the first time usage of the rolling application process. And for the grant to enrichment impacted organizations, the, in, the city has um, structured a fund to address all not-for-profit organizations as it relates to funding needs. Um, Sister Cities was fully implemented at the $30,000. For safe and clean neighborhoods, um, code enforcement repairs for senior citizens. Um, currently, we have OPERA funds associated with the Healthy Home Program. Um, that program does allow for repairs um, for seniors as it relates for code enforcement. So we can address that as well in detail with the administration. Um, as it relates to um, biking lanes, um, speed bumps and various traffic initiatives as it relates to traffic control, a multitude of CIP dollars has been addressed to this particular initiative. Um, that will be provided in detail as well. Um, regarding the request for the water safety equipment, um, the Richmond Fire Department has communicated that for that request, um, donations that the department receives can support this. The bike pro bike pallet program um, also as well as the um, forestry division's new tree planting budget um, will be addressed in more detail, but they are, as you are aware, in the urban forestry division pending the hire of an urban forester um, position, which should be able to enhance as relates to our tree planning budget once that person is onboarded. Um, natural gas efficiencies, um, all of those will be addressed through the city's administration. The maintenance, there are a number of maintenance um, projects forth as it relates to um, sidewalks, new sidewalks, asphalt paint, pavement. Um, the details associated with the planned streets, um, 
alleyways have been will be shared by the administration the specific details of the program those are not necessarily outlined in the um, budget homeless liaison requests um, that were made requests for the homeless staff um, department of social services um, there have been two additional FTEs added within the operating um, needs for human services, as well as 25 additional um, employees for the Department of Social Services. Um, the administration can provide details as it relates to how these positions will enhance the um, homeless services needs and as well as the liaison to that office. Um, liaison support staff, a position analysis is in progress with the Department of Human Resources. As it relates to um, additional FTEs, um, the Ann Hardy Plaza staffing, um, that will be detailed later. Um, the establishment of a new position in the city clerk's office. It is being proposed that a chief equity officer that is in the human services division can support this request. Now we're going to move to your request relating to the capital improvement program. Um, one thing, as you're going to notice in the presentation, a lot of those capital improvement programs will receive additional data with your presentation next week, the specific details that you requested. Um, many of the CIP um, projects do address um, our sidewalk needs, street maintenance, whether it's new or replacement. But today we're only going to highlight what appears to be included in the CIP. It relates to your request of Bryan Park, Smith-Peters Park improvements, and as well as the Jefferson Avenue um, improvements. Um, as it relates to Bryan Park. Excuse me. Yes. I'm sorry. I, I hate to stop you. Um, can we just go over questions over the general budget first before we move into um, the CIP portion? Mm -hmm. If we can do that, colleagues, do you have any questions as it pertains to uh, the first portion uh, of staff's presentation? Uh, Dr. Newbill. Thank you, uh, President Jones. And I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I, I would like to hear from the administration. This is a request to do with children and youth development community of caring model uh, 40,000. It says administration to provide additional data. And I believe that it is codified or captured in the non-departmental budget. And that is the reason that there is uh, no nothing here from the administration. Is that correct? Richmond Community of Caring in the non-departmental for 40,000. I can, if you need to get back to me, you can. You can. I do know that in the non-departmental, um, we had a number of new funding sources for the um, We Matter program, as well as um, the additional funding for Parks and Rec to expand community center programming, 
Uh, I'm not off the top of my head. I would need to get back to you on uh, any administration response to this particular model as, as sure. it compares to and whether this is not is or is not something that is captured elsewhere. Okay, this is not a new program. This is ongoing um, within the schools. And so uh, I would I need to get you some more. That would be great. Yes, Thank sir. you. I wouldn't go too far, uh, Mr. Saunders, because I'm believing any question that's going to be asked, yeah, they're probably going to be directed towards you. Uh, so don't go too far. Uh, anyone else have any other questions before I share mine? All right. Um, Mr. Saunders, um, as we talk about enrichment, um, page isn't numbered, but it's under responsive, accountable, uh, and innovative government. Um, talks about $250,000 going to impacted organizations. Um, one, and, and again, this is send us the information, get staff the information uh, at your earliest convenience. Um, the impact organizations, who they are, one. Then secondly, how much, how much did we lose with enrichment? How much did, how much did not go to the place it was supposed to go? Is it just 250,000 or is that number different from uh, what was actually the, 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 the actual impact was? It's a complicated answer and, and I don't know that we have the exact figure. Um, again, the city was not the keeper of the record of how many um, organizations had funds or how much funding they had within enrichment. Um, we know that a number of our friends groups uh, did keep funding within enrichment uh, and we have been working with those uh, in a number of different ways. Um, we do think 250,000 is is a, a ballpark for what um, some of the the the, the totality of what is lost, but there could very well be more um, more out there again. And and we are not the 250,000 in the mayor's proposed budget um, is to support a new donor advised fund that has been established at uh, under the community foundation with the help of some um, community leaders who have stepped up in the wake of um, the potential dissolution of enrichment and what has been conveyed to the organizations um, such as, uh, let me say, the Friends of Fulton, the Richmond Tree Stewards, the Friends of Pump House, and others, is that that fund at, at the fund would, would be a place where they could apply for funding that could be used to serve the same intent they had for what the the previously um, allocated funds or raised funds to enrichment would be. There would be uh, a, a grant submission and an approval process uh, to help. Um, support them and particularly organizations that may have been impacted, um, but it is not intended as a dollar for dollar replacement. I think that's the balance of how we need to um, appropriately uh, respond to a situation that was not the city's cause, but we know a number of partner organizations of ours in the community um, do not have access to funds that they had deposited there previously. Um, so while they consider their legal path forward for how to go about trying to recoup their funding. We wanted to set aside funds so that they could continue their work in that interim. And are, are, are we, and do we have any legal grounds to go after enrichment? 
that has been ex uh, extensively reviewed by the city attorney's office and the analysis we have today is that we we the city because it was not city funds in in richmond um, do not have standing in that space but the organizations uh who who did and were impacted may and so they have to my knowledge um are receiving uh, legal counsel and are considering what options are available to them And, and I, th this is not the place for it. Maybe it's organizational development or GovOps and Council Member Jordan. I know everything gets <laughs> it gets sent to you, um, but but again, I, I mean, it, we're we're making whole organizations for things for for services and or resources they provide with taxpayer dollars. And so I'm just I'm just trying to understand what the fix to the problem. What what was the original problem? What's the fix to the problem, and what are we on the hook and responsible for uh, as a city to fix with taxpayer dollars? I would say it's it's less about the city being on the hook and responsible and more on in the in the space of um, we know many of these were very small organizations, nonprofits raising money to do good um, for the broader public. Uh, so we are trying to support that work the way we do through other non-departmental awards um, while they pursue uh, accountability in whatever way is appropriate and 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 that they choose to pursue it. Um, with the organization that previously held those funds. That is a, as close to a, a lawyer's answer as I can get, not being a lawyer, but. Dr. Nibble. Thank you, uh, President Jones. Just, um, I, I think what I would like to do probably is to follow up with staff. For example, we have uh, children, youth, and adults, health and wellness, two community health workers. And what's been uh, uh, outlined here is a opportunity as community ambassador program can provide assistance. But the community health workers are individuals who are located within our resource centers within our communities. And so I'd really like to talk to whomever the staffer is to see if you are suggesting that those staff members can be positioned or stationed in the centers where the resource is needed. Um, because it is, yes, and so I can... Should I can have I who should why don't I do it this way? Who should I discuss that further with to get clarification about the thinking relative to this being an opportunity to address this request? I would say it's something we I could certainly convene a conversation with because I do think this touches a number of different areas from partner agencies uh, as well as um, investments that are are throughout the budget with community health. Um, as well as uh, other forms of family support, case management, and I, I would just need to convene the, the proper folks to be able to to walk this through with you. Okay, so I'll just look to you for this one and the prior one yeah. and the next one. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Davenport. 
can continue with CIP. Appreciate your patience. Yes. Um, as I indicated, uh, many of the um, CIP requests, um, as communicated, will require additional conversation with the presentation next week from the administration. Um, what we found was three are specifically identified, um, which relate to Brian Park um, on your first page. Um, as relates to their plans to renovate the keeper's house, um, as well as bathroom upgrades um, for the nature center, um, Pine Camp, um, and as well as the sidewalks at E-Ladies Mile will require additional details um, to determine how those are incorporated in the CIP budget. Um, same is applicable as it relates to um, the next relating to resubmitted requests um, and as well as uh, pro, excuse me, Riverview playground and site work. And then there is a large amount of money as it relates to there are CP, CIP dollars in park and recs to address various um, park projects, but specifically the ones that are in question um, will require additional detail from the administration, um, as well as the parks relating requests relating to um, Maymont, um, the restroom requests, um, the Julie Creek protection and watershed repair, and as well for Maymark, the requested pedestrian trail um, safety advancements. Um, as it relates to traffic needs with Department of Public Works, um, traffic calming requests, um, as well as radar items, um, those will have to be um, addressed more than likely. They will fall into the um, CIP um, complete streets allocation, but the, the specifics relating to um, your requests will have to come directly from the administration. Um, the updated natural gas master plan. Um, a few years ago, um, Richmond Gas Water um, had implemented an integrated management plan. Um, they are using that in place of a um, master plan. Um, so um, as it relates to that is to be determined, those two documents should relate to the same needs. Uh, DPW as well as it relates to um, asphalt alley maintenance um, as well as the 5th Street African American um, Cemetery. Um, there is um, appears to be funding as it relates to archaeological work around the Shackle Bottom area, but it could not be determined if it's specifically related um, to that um, cemetery. Um, as we communicate, the complete streets um, encompasses a much as it relates to sidewalks. Um, so the additional data will help to determine if the specific requests that you have regarding Walmsley Boulevard and Broadwalk Road um, relate to that. Same as it relates to um, the installment of curbs and gutters and new sidewalk and um, pedestrian safety improvements.
um, the request for the Smith-Peters um, park improvement, as I indicated earlier, there is a reference that um, included is the court and playground um, resurfacing for that specific park. Um, the circulation wayfinding and mobility study for the Broad Street corridor, um, that will require additional information um, as relates to the inclusion. Um, most of these will require additional um, review. Traffic lights, um, pedestrian safety and transportation, um, Jefferson Avenue, there is a reference for um, the Jefferson Avenue um, improvements for the Jefferson Avenue corridor. Um, the request as it relates to East Broad Street crosswalks, Carrington Street sidewalks, and the um, 7th District um, crosswalks installation, all of those will, from your priority requests, um, will need additional data. Um, same is applicable to um, uniform trash cans, um, dorm, um, excuse me, new sidewalk program to assure alignment with ADA. And um, the last one here is stormwater utility program. Um, it is indicated that the opera funding spend plan includes three large stormwater projects. So the second step would see if that crosswalks to um, the stormwater program that you are requesting. All right, any questions for your CIP? Ms. Davenport, first let me say this, thank you for um, jumping in. Uh, so new to your position, uh, just appreciate uh, your time, both you and Mr. Van Linton uh, and Ms. Holmes to get us to this point. I just want to ask a top line question and then we're going to, or just for top line statement, and then we'll get into direct questions from, uh, from the council members. When we see and look at the response from uh, the administration, it, it'll say parks and recreation CIP $7 million um, and the administration needs to provide additional detail. What will help us from an amendment standpoint is to see if if Dr. Newbill asked for $3 million for XYZ project and the response is we have this within this particular area, does that necessarily mean that the project and or the request is filled? Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I want to make sure that the things that we have on this side here says these are all our requests go from Bryant Park, Pine Camp, you know, so on and so forth, DPW asphalt alley maintenance. And, and it would suggest, as it says, FY24 proposed budget amount, that a here are dollars that can potentially address that. But does that mean those requests will be met in full? I just want to make sure from a top line standpoint that staff understand city council's ask because that will help streamline uh, our amendment process. And I just want to put that out there as a blanket statement as we move forward. Uh, we're going to go with uh, Councilor Jordan 
on to Dr. Newbill. Thank you, President Jones. Appreciate the presentations. Very helpful. I wanted to zero in a little bit on the Richmond Gas Works master plan study. This is something I've been bringing up with administration, um, I don't know, at least for half a year or longer, when it came to my attention that the last time Gas Works did a master plan was in 2005. And at that time, they really did a strategic deep dive on who is our customer, where we can we be growing, and um, they had a lot of, I would say, mission-type statements that are no longer relevant today. And um, for one thing, they were targeting, you know, smaller low-income households to bring into natural gas um, usership, as well as larger homes in the West End. Now, I, I'm going to assume that at the time, back in 2005, that's because natural gas was cheaper, and you were really doing, you know, a service for our constituents to provide them with a more affordable energy source. That's no longer the case. And I feel strongly that the type of master plan I'm talking about, which I know I've been very explicit in describing, is not the type of plan that they do annually. So what I'm really looking for is how are we really taking our residents and businesses into consideration for the next 20 years? It's been 20 years almost since that master plan. What is our next 20-year vision for the natural gas works, for our role as a city in providing clean, safe, reliable energy. And I feel discouraged that this was the reply because, um, I don't know, I feel like we're talking past each other and, and I really admire everyone at, at DPU and at gas works. So I would like a more fulsome reply and especially in the response I got um, separately which indicated that they had applied for a $15 million grant focused on carbon reduction by modernizing the pipes. Um, I don't really understand, and perhaps that's you know something you can educate me on, how just continuing to invest in the pipes themselves helps us reduce our carbon footprint. So that would be a specific question. I would look for um, further feedback on those exact grants that we're applying for that does not need to be addressed in this meeting. And then related, um, I'm very interested in understanding, um, you know, when we're thinking about our revenues and, and how we make decisions on the budget, um, knowing what's coming from the federal government is helpful, not for this meeting, but I think council would like to know what the mayor submitted to um, Senator McClellan's office for the earmarks, because there were some I was interested in submitting and I understand that they've already been sent forward and I don't think we were engaged in that process. Thank you. Um, I would say I think uh, it's important for the mass plan for utilities that um, I know you, Councilmember, and I have had recent, more recent discussions about um, perhaps an approach to that question and issue um, may appropriately kind of pivot to a uh, a role for our Office of Sustainability to take the lead in a conversation around citywide decarbonization. Um, master plant, our, our gas utilities obviously has a lot of responsibility for the natural gas infrastructure and our and our future for both sustainability, um, decarbonization, et cetera. But for a more holistic citywide plan, um, what I've not yet had an opportunity to do is to discuss that with the Office of Sustainability to get an understand of um, what resources would be required for them to undertake that uh, either as part of the RVA Green 2050 
implementation or or what current resources are already allocated to that decarbonization review or or assessment. Um, so that would be primarily my my response to that that first first portion there. Okay, thank you. Um, I, we've had I think very constructive conversations. I always appreciate our our uh, monthly meetings. And I reached out with that question to say, like, you know, we're in this budget process. What would that look like if there is not a master plan already included in the mayor's budget? And I think the dollar figure was about 400,000, which I was interested in trying to get through Senator McClellan's office. But, you know, $400,000 for a decarbonation study for the city and then a staff person to help administrate that process, which um, I'll leave to you to figure out. But I know as quickly as we want to fill all the DPU vacancies right now, perhaps there's an opportunity for one of those currently vacant positions to be assigned to OOS to help uh, shepherd that master planning process. Be, be glad to have a conversation on that. I think there might be some restrictions there given yeah. how the positions are paid, but I can check that and get okay. back to you. Thank you. Dr. Nabil. Thank you, President Jones. I think that uh, your statement before where there is an indication that a response to a council's proposed amount is captured within a broader um, project, that there's greater, that there's specificity as to whether or not that project is one of the uh, items that are on the list for the broader project. I'll use DPWCIP 21 million and I'll just it has 2.5 million as a um, council request. You've already asked that that would be the case. And then the only other place is where there is no indication of proposed budget amount and there's been a request, but there's an indication that administration will provide additional data that we just get some sense of when we'll get that information back. That's yes, ma'am. If, if I can speak to that, if I can speak to that, um, we have. March 27th as our public hearing, and then we have another session on April 3rd. Mr. Saunders, it would be great if we could have Mr. May uh, return on April 3rd uh, for the April 3rd session uh, to answer and to bring back some of this information, some of this data. Um, is that possible? I think we absolutely, I mean, we're, we're going to be working to get you guys to answer these questions as quickly as possible, hopefully uh, in advance, depending on the level of detail. But um, I'll say on behalf of the administration, we will be prepared to provide answers and feedback um, on both the 27th and the, the 3rd. Thank you very much. Just, just a quick question. I, I just having a conversation with chief of staff over a couple of things here. Uh, colleagues, as it, as it pertains to um, capital budget amendments, and as we move into the amendment, as we look with a forward glance to our amendment process, we never have, I believe, had a number of amendments that we could submit. I'm just looking to past leadership for historicity and, and all that fun stuff. I don't think we ever had a, a limit on the number of uh, of amendments and 
I'm not necessarily saying that I'm suggesting that now we do have budget submission forms uh, that will go out when? As soon as possible. All right, great. And then we have a submission deadline uh, on March the 29th, uh, but these will go out soon. But I just want to thank staff for just, this is a daunting task. <laughs> it is. It is a very daunting task. And uh, for Ms. Holmes to have handled it uh, the way that she has and not pulled all of her hair out, even though she got it trimmed a little bit, it looks nice. Um, feathered, I believe they call that style. <laughs> Uh, but but again, I, it, it is a daunting task to jump right in uh, and and keep us moving through this process. And so, colleagues, I'm looking forward to your feedback during this process and especially after the process as we continue to look to uh, process improve uh, how we move forward. Um, with that, I know we have. We have scheduled a closed session um, or and at this time, who has, let's see, who has the amendment for that or the, the request, the motion? That would be Councillor Newbill, President Jones. Dr. Newbill, you are the go-to. Thank you, uh, President Jones. I move that the City Council go into a closed meeting pursuant to subsection A1 of section 2.23711 of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act to discuss and consider the resignation of the city attorney, the possible appointment of an interim city attorney, and the possible appointment of a candidate to the city attorney position pursuant to A29 of section 2.23711 of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act to discuss the terms of scope of a public contract involving the expenditure of public funds regarding a proposed development project in the city where discussion in an open session would adversely affect the bargaining position or negotiation negotiation strategy of the city and pursuant to subdivision A29 of section 2.23711 of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act to discuss the terms and scope of a public contract involving the expenditure of public funds regarding the Diamond District development project in the city where discussion in an open session would adversely affect the bargaining position or negotiation uh, strategy of the city. Is there a second to that motion? Council is now voting on the motion to enter into closed session. Ms. Jordan? Aye. Ms. Lambert? Aye. Ms. Robertson, Ms. Trammell, Ms. Newbill, aye. Vice President Nye, aye. And President Jones, aye. That motion was approved. Uh, colleagues, we have food that has been provided, so uh, I believe it's right here adjacent to us, and we will meet in uh, the large second floor uh, conference room. Uh, so we will see everyone back there. Give us. 10 minutes to make our way back.
Ms. Clerk, we're ready to come out of closed session. Yes, Mr. President, I will just need a motion to exit the closed session. So moved. Council is voting on the motion to exit the closed session. Ms. Jordan? Ms. Robertson? Ms. Lynch? Aye. Ms. Newbill? Aye. Vice President Nye? Aye. And President Jones? Aye. That motion was approved, and now for the certification. Uh, the only that uh, the, the the Richmond City Council hereby certifies that, to the best of each member's knowledge, only public business matter law, lawfully exempted from open meeting requirements by Virginia law were discussed in the closed meeting to which the certification applies, and only such public matters as were identified in the motion convening the closed meeting were heard, discussed, or considered by City Council. Ms. Jordan. Ms. Robertson. Ms. Lynch. Aye. Ms. Newbill. Aye. Vice President Nye. Aye. President Jones. Aye. That was approved. Thank you. There's no other business before uh, this, uh, this council. I call this budget session adjourned. Thank you.